Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. About 11 years ago, I was asked to fly out to New Mexico to speak at a youth convention. And it would prove to be one of the most miserable trips that I have ever taken in my life. A trip that I probably should not have have taken to begin with. I probably should have just backed out of it. Because the week leading up to this trip, I was a very, very sick man. Very sick. And and I, I realized that it was a great opportunity for me because I was on the same bill as the Christian band Skillet. And, and so, you know, sharing the same stage with them, and I knew it was a great opportunity. And, and besides, they had sent out these posters all over New Mexico in the Four Corners region there um, with my face on the poster. And so I kind of felt obligated. Even though nobody in New Mexico knew who I was, they could care less. They were showing up for Skillet. But yet I was on there, so I felt obligated. So I buckled down, even though I was sick, and I flew out to Albuquerque. When I got there uh, to the airport, I flew in, and... I went to pick up my rental car and the event promoter, he had reserved me, now remember this is, this is a number of years ago, but he had reserved me a Dodge Neon. That's what I would be driving. That's right, six foot two, six foot two, 120 pounds, Dodge Neon. <laughs> It's my, it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But, but he did. He reserved me a Dodge Neon for my two-and-a-half-hour ride north to the community college where this event was being held. And it was a beautiful drive. I mean, it really was. And, and I was feeling a little bit better on my drive, and I was riding through an Indian reservation, and I was surrounded by Red Rock on part of this drive, and, and I had to, to go over a mountain pass, and it was just beautiful. And I finally arrived in Farmington, New Mexico. Anybody ever been to Farmington, New Mexico? All both of us in the room. It is in the Four Corners region there where the four states come together. And I grabbed some dinner, and because I'd had a long day of traveling through airports and such, um, I I just decided to hit the bed early. And the next day, I got up, and and I reported to the event, but I was feeling just awful, awful. And I had two sessions, one with adult leaders, and the second was was with about 1,000 students that were packed in this room. And so... I finished my second session and and I'm not feeling good at all and I walked off the stage and as I'm walking off the stage I looked at the event promoter and I said man I don't feel good I'm heading to the hotel I I just need to rest before I fly out in the morning so and and he tried his best to get me to stay he said man you're gonna miss skillet they're going on right now man you're gonna miss skillet I was like I've heard them before I don't care and it had been years 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 ago when they were just a smaller band a week later I get home and they win a Grammy Award on national television and I'm like oh okay this is great but about 2 30 in the morning I wake up in my hotel room and and I for some reason I went over to the window and I looked out and as I looked down there is a blanket of snow there was there, there was not a sign of snow on the horizon when I went to bed but I wake up and there's just this blanket of snow on the ground on my Dodge Neon rent-a-car it, it, it is everywhere and so I thought to myself you know I'm a Floridian I don't know how to drive in this stuff. I've only been in it a few times. And so I said, you know what, I'm wide awake. I'm just going to hit the road and I'm going to start driving. And that's what I did. I packed up and I started that drive back to the Albuquerque airport. Now, 
For this born and raised Floridian, the snow, I will admit, it freaked me out just a little bit. If you're not used to driving in snow, it will freak you out. And so I found the ruts of a semi-truck. I didn't see him. He was long gone. And I'm the only car on this mountain pass. And I found the ruts of this semi-truck, and I put the tires of, of that Dodge Neon. I don't know how I squeezed them in there, but I, but I got those tires in there, and I settled in for that long ride. And, and I got kind of comfortable with it. You know, when you get in, in, in some ruts of a well-worn path, you get a little comfortable with it. And I was on that road for about an hour. Without knowing it, I, I became too comfortable driving in those ruts, and my speed began to increase. And before you knew it, I was trucking along pretty good, and my little Dodge Neon lifted up and it began spinning in the middle of the road. I don't know if I hit ice. I don't know what happened, but I was so comfortable in those ruts. And then all of a sudden I am spinning. And on one side of me is a rock wall. There's a mountain on this side. And on the other side is a cliff. Now it was probably about 20 feet, but in my mind, as I'm sitting there spinning around, it was a hundred foot drop. I mean, that, that's what I'm thinking. And I, I'm thinking I'm about to die. You know, you, you talk about your life flashing before your eyes that's what I felt at that moment my life was flashing before my eyes and finally I just come to a stop right there on the end and I am just I, I'm, I'm visibly shaken I mean you, you, you can you can just tell and I didn't care what time of, uh, of morning it was I called my wife I woke her up she was in a dead sleep I called her I woke her up and I told her I said I don't feel good I almost died and you need to start praying for me and I'll tell you my wife did she started praying for me at that moment and, and, and I would love to tell you you know prayer worked and I made it and and made my flight and all that no I made it but I missed my flight and and, and uh, but but the whole point of what I'm telling you is this I became too comfortable riding in those ruts I want you to look at somebody next to you right now and I want you to say, get out of the rut. I don't even want you to turn the other way. I want you to look at that person and with conviction, tell them, get out of the rut. There are times in life when we all get comfortable in the ruts and before you know it, life has derailed and we are in a tailspin and, and suddenly we wonder, how did we even get there? Some of you, you've experienced this in your own life. It happens on our jobs. You get stuck in the rut of the mundane and, and you stop taking pride in the very things that you once were excited about with your job. You stop doing things with excellence and the next thing that you know, you're riding in those ruts and you hate your job and you develop an attitude that affects the whole company. People can see it coming a mile away when you walk in the door, you are that sourpuss that walks in. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It happens in our homes. You get stuck in a marriage rut and you lose interest in your spouse and before long the grass looks greener on the other side you know what I'm talking about some of you have experienced that in your marriage or, or at least you, you've thought about it you're, you're, you will not admit it and I don't I don't expect you to admit it because you've made it past it but you know what that well-worn rut looks like in your life you get stuck in the rut of raising your kids you take this one to soccer practice you take this one to piano lessons and you find yourself simply working to pay for child care and before you know it you have invested invested more in the people who watch or the people who teach your kids than you have personally invested in your own kids. And some of you walked in here today and that's exactly how you feel. And I know we've been there. I know exactly what that feels like. But you know, it also happens in our churches. We get caught up in the rut of programs and routine. Now don't get me wrong, church. Everybody listen to me. 
because I am a very organized individual. I, I like to, to dot the I's, cross the T's, and, and I believe in programs. And, and I know that there are advantages to proper routine of prayer and Bible study. We need that. I mean, Wednesday nights, the routine of that is a must for, for, for so many people. They need that in their lives, and probably all of us need it in our lives. But the greatest enemy facing the church today now listen close because this is going to catch some of you off guard but you need to hear it the greatest enemy facing the church today it, it's not liberals it's not even government policy it's not even the differences between the two sides of the aisle that's not the biggest enemy and the greatest enemy that the church is facing our greatest enemy is predictability I didn't expect you to agree with me but it's true. Our greatest enemy in church is predictability. God has always been unusual, but we get a little nervous when God starts to do something new. We want the ability to predict and even dictate what God will do next. And when God breaks that mold, we're out. Six years ago, we witnessed it when we moved into this middle school. Changing lanes and getting out of the rut that we were in, it scared some people to death and they refused to make the transition. Did you know just leaving that little church building across the street that would only seat 120 people maxed out, leaving that little building and coming over here and setting up chairs and setting up every week in a middle school, some people didn't even give it a try. They simply walked away from what God was doing in their lives because, because that, 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 that ability to change, it scares some people. They're scared of the uncertainty, but it goes way beyond where we meet. Listen close. You allow the Holy Spirit to do something new in our midst and some people will dig into their rut of complacency because they want to stay right there they don't want to move I like it just the way it is pastor don't change it I don't think we need change it is common knowledge that many people they want and even expect a church to remain the same as when they entered it they want it to be the exact same size some of you have just started coming to this church and as this church continues to grow and I'm telling you it will it's it, it has for eight years God is going to continue to grow this church Whenever you're doing something for the community, whenever you're, you're leading people to Christ, when you are discipling people, God will continue to add to the church daily those who are being saved. It's not my church. I don't get to add to it. He gets to add to it. And, and as God continues to add, you might as well look around and just say, it's not always going to look like this. It's going to look different. It's going to bring in different types of people. The people you're sitting next to right now, if they choose to go along, they will be there for the ride. But I'll tell you, it will bring in different types of people. We forget that he said in Isaiah 43 and 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing. God is always doing something new in his church and with his people. And the ruts of life, they will create us to be miserable and stuck in a destructive path if we're not careful. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1 reading about the exodus i know there's a popular movie out i have not seen it some of you have asked me what i've thought about it i haven't seen it after the noah fiasco i've been just a, a little 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 reserved on this but but we will continue moving forward deuteronomy chapter one i want you to pay close attention to the amount of time 
that they have spent in this wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3 says, In the 40th year, that's 4040, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Verse 6. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, listen to what he says. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Araba, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negeb and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I've set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. The greatest threat to Israel was not their physical enemies. That's what they thought it was. It's the reason why 40 years earlier, when they sent in 12 spies, 10 spies came back and said, we can't do this. We can't conquer this land. Only two young spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, yes, we can. We can do this because they understood that their greatest threat was not their physical enemy. The greatest threat to Israel was the rut that they were traveling in in that wilderness. You see, church, after 40 years of routine, they had forgotten where they were heading. They had the promise of a land that would belong to them, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that was plentiful, a land that they still have not inhabited all of the land that God promised them even to this day. But they had become satisfied in the rut around Mount Horeb. They were comfortable and content in going in circles around this mountain day in and day out. This mindset of complacency could keep them from inhabiting the promised land and it could eventually keep them from becoming a nation. But God spoke to them in verse 6 and he said, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Somebody here today, you need to understand that for your own life. Where you're at right now, you have stayed long enough at that mountain. And God is ready for you to take off and to begin pursuing your promise. In other words, God looked at them and said, It's time for you, Israel, to do something different. Get out of your rut that you're in. Look at somebody again. Now on the other side, look at them and say, Get out of your rut. No, 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 really tell them. You haven't, you haven't caught hold of this yet. Tell them, say, get out of your rut. What if I told you this? Listen, church, what if I told you, what if I told you that there are some simple changes that you can make in your life that would get you out of your rut and put you on a path to blessing? If I was to tell you there's just some simple changes that you can make today that will get you out of your rut and put you on a path to blessing, would you make those simple changes? Yes or no? Would you? Of course you would. Simple changes. You would love it. Unfortunately, the changes that I'm talking about, they are simple, but they're not easy. They're easy to explain, but they're hard to pull off. They are elementary to understand, but complex in executing. Not easy. We refer to them as spiritual disciplines. And creating spiritual disciplines for your life 
is a necessary aid in order for you to mature as a follower of Christ. And there's nobody in this room, nobody, not one, that is exempt from this. There's three types of people in this room. Actually, I was backstage before service, had this sermon prepared, and God spoke to me while I was praying and said, Rocky, today you will encounter three different types of people. And so I pulled my iPad out and started putting it in my notes. Here's what he told me, three different types of people. There's those that are spiritually immature and they want to remain that way and they will not make the necessary changes to change. It's hard. Then he said there's those that want to grow in the Lord. They will incorporate spiritual disciplines into their life in order to grow. And then there are those that are satisfied with where they are at. Now listen close to me because I don't want you to miss this. If you're satisfied with where you are at spiritually, don't make any changes. Stay right where you're at. Keep doing exactly what you're doing. If you think that you are complete in your spiritual maturity, all I ask is that you be patient with the rest of us. We're just trying to attain your level of godliness. And we haven't made it yet. But if that's you, be careful. The Bible warns us that there are ruts of complacency that we can settle into. Proverbs 1 and 32 says, the complacency of fools destroys them. Be careful if you think you've arrived. Everybody in this room, including me today, could use some more spiritual discipline in our lives because God uses these disciplines to get us out of our ruts. And discipline is never easy, but discipline is always necessary. And, and I see your faces. I see you cringing. I know exactly what you're thinking right now because discipline is a word that always feels negative, especially when it's being applied to you. It's like someone who is in trouble for doing something wrong. That's immediately what we think about when it comes to discipline and some people in this room you turn me off at the moment when I said spiritual disciplines discipline is not always bad you have to understand that discipline is not always a bad thing discipline can produce privileges you know if you want that that rock-hard body you know if you, if you want to look good when you stand in front of that mirror then you have to be disciplined in the way that you eat and disciplined in the way that you work out not everybody can look like Pastor Rocky <laughs> It's still my story. <laughs> About eight years ago, Kendall and Caleb wanted a dog. And I didn't want a dog. And Mandy was asking me, can we get them a dog? Our kids had never had a dog. Can we get them a dog? And finally, on the day that I was caving in and saying, yes, we can get a dog, I, I also told them that there were, were some stipulations with it. That if we get this dog, they would have to care for this dog. That, that they could enjoy having a pet if they would be disciplined enough to care for it. You must water it. You must feed it. You must take it outside. You know, you know all, all that stuff that comes with it. Discipline is a good thing. It can produce some privileges. It can produce some responsibilities. Discipline is not always a bad thing. And so for this series, you need to get that through your mind right now. Discipline can be a good thing.
And developing the proper spiritual disciplines in your life will cause you to get out of the rut and it will cause you men to be godly husbands and fathers. Don't miss this, men. Listen to me. Men, you want your wife and kids to look at you as the spiritual leader that God has called you to be. I know you do. Whether you admit it or not, you want to be that spiritual leader. But sometimes we, we, we become intimidated because of some of our actions, because they've seen us. The good, bad, and the ugly, they have seen us. So if you want your wife and kids to start looking at you as a spiritual leader, then you need to establish some spiritual disciplines in your life and begin leading by example. thought all the women would say amen. Wives, if you want to be looked upon as a Proverbs 31 woman, then develop some spiritual disciplines in your wife and start acting like a Proverbs 31 woman. Learn to create peace and understanding in your home. Spiritual discipline will cause you to raise godly kids. Disciplined parents produce disciplined children. That's one of the best things you've heard all week. Disciplined parents produce disciplined children. And the same thing applies spiritually. When you have parents who are spiritually disciplined, you have a better chance of those children becoming spiritually disciplined because they've been led by example. Spiritual disciplines, they will bring about revival to us as individuals. And, and this is the, the most important thing right now. Please get this. Spiritual discipline in your life is going to bring about a revival in you personally. And in turn, revived individuals will bring about revival in the church. And growing up, we had this so backwards. I remember revivals in our home church where my dad pastored. We didn't take any time to consecrate and prepare ourselves. Evangelists would blow into town. He'd preach hard, preach hard to us. We just couldn't wait till prayer time. You get everybody down around the front near, near the altars. You have to remember now, I was raised Pentecostal, and so uh, I remember this one time there was this evangelist that, that he was known for praying for people, and maybe some of you have never seen this before. Maybe I'll line you up and we'll practice it today. But, but, but he would pray for people, and, and they would fall out. They would fall out in the Spirit. Anybody ever seen anybody fall out in the Spirit? Besides watching Benny Hinn on TV, you ever seen anybody fall out in the Spirit? All right. He was known for that. And I remember there was this row of teenagers, man, we were all standing up front and he comes by and he's laying hands on people and, and, and everybody's falling out. And he, he comes to me and he lays his hand on me and I don't feel anything, I'm just being honest. I didn't feel a thing, nothing, nothing, but the pressure's on. <laughs> because the 10 teenagers in front of me, they're all laying out on the floor. I don't know if it's real or not. All I know is they're laid out and I don't feel a thing. So you know what I did? I gave the guy a courtesy drop. <laughs> I fell. Forgive me, God, forgive me. <laughs> Trust me when I say, please listen to me. There are some predictable revival moments that I could care less about revisiting. But we could all use a good dose of spiritual spontaneity. God forbid that we become so organized that we don't let him do something new. In us as individuals and as us corporately. What would happen if you started this new year off 
by getting out of your rut? What if you praised a little bolder than you usually do? What if that was a spiritual discipline? Because praise is the thing that broke the chains and shook the foundation of the prison. They were set free because of praise. What if you prayed a little more consistently this year than you did last year? Well, Pastor, I've tried that before, and it just doesn't stick. I want to, but it just doesn't stick. What if for 21 days you practiced it every day? Creating a spiritual discipline that you've never had before. What if you found one area in your life where you need to mature and become more like Christ? And I don't know what that looks like. It may be an addiction that you have. It, it might be something that you do socially. I don't know what it is, but it, 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 it leaves you lacking and you are not Christ-like because of that. What if you found and focused on that one area and in that area you make a significant change today to get out of that rut? What, what if that's what, what it was? Because there's a promised land that he has prepared for you, a promised land for your life that he wants you heading towards. And you will never get there if you don't make a significant change today. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks of three spiritual disciplines that we can practice in our lives. Really quick, I want to read this to you. And I, I might add this, corporately as a church, we will practice all three of these spiritual disciplines during the first part of this year. Some of them we've already started practicing today. Listen to chapter 6, Matthew. Jesus is speaking. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let me talk to you, to those of you who are going to, going to be participating during this fast. Please understand this. Don't get on social media and start telling the world that you're suffering for Christ. If you do that, you've already received your reward. I try my best to prepare people for this every year. We will, on our, our Facebook, Twitter, our Instagram, Destiny Community Church, we will supply you with some encouragement. But whatever you do, don't get on there and tell the world what you're trying to accomplish. There are churches and there are people, plenty of Christians I know, that they will do that throughout the next 21 days. Don't be that person. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Listen to what he says. Thus, when you give to the needy, there's the first spiritual discipline. We, we did that today. We laid our dream aside and said we're not giving to our building fund. We're going to give to the needy. Let's give to missions. And I promise you 100% of what you give throughout the, the, the first quarter of this year, it's going to the mission field. I promise you we're not keeping any of it in house. It's going. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Spiritual disciplines, God will reward them. 
Verse 5 says, and when you pray, here's the second spiritual discipline. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, everybody has already noticed. They've already received their reward. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 16, and when you fast, Jesus didn't say if, he said when. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, look good. Don't let anybody see, don't let anybody even notice what you're going through. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Church, there are some misconceptions about spiritual disciplines, and, and, and I'm closing right here. Don't practice spiritual disciplines to change God's mind. God is not some genie in a bottle waiting to give you your next wish. That's not what fasting is about. That's not what spiritual disciplines are about. Fasting does not tune God into your life and your plan. Fasting tunes your life into God and his plan. Fasting does not necessarily get God's attention. Fasting gets your attention. Every fast that I've ever been on, God has changed my perspective. He got my attention and changed my perspective on issues because fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes you. I remember one time I was dating a girl and after church on a Sunday afternoon, we arrived at her house before her parents did. And since we didn't want to be there alone, and I don't even think we had a key actually, we started back in towards town. They lived about 15 minutes outside of town, and so we started back in towards town. But it was raining. It was raining, and I remember my truck began to hydroplane. There's something about me driving in weather. I don't know what it is. My, my truck began to hydroplane, and after we finished spinning, we ended up with the butt of that truck down into, in a ditch. And so I tried to pull out of there, and the more that I would push that gas pedal, those wheels would just sit there and spin and turn. You've been there. You've been stuck. The rain was pouring down, and, and it, the truck was just getting deeper and deeper. Before long, the, the, the back bed of that truck, it was actually almost touching the ground. The more I tried, the bigger the ruts would get. And I'll never forget looking down this road, a little two-lane paved road, and seeing a tractor come over the, the horizon. There's this old farmer, didn't know the guy, but he saw me. And he pulls his tractor up, and after an unsolicited life coaching event where he tells me, you gotta be careful when you're driving and all that, and I probably needed it, but, but, but he, he, he hooked that tractor right up to the front of my truck. And with that tractor, he pulled me right out. The fact is this, that left my own routine, I'd probably still be in that ditch, stuck in the rut spinning my wheels. Fasting and spiritual disciplines are like that much needed tractor that God uses to pull us out of our ruts.
Some of you today, you're in a desperate need of change. The ruts that you're in, they're deep. You've been going through the same motions for years. Why not try something different? You might think, Pastor, you've lost your mind. You're crazy. If not fasting, find some spiritual discipline and rearrange your life. He will not force it on you. But I'm telling you, it will change you. And it will pull you out of that rut. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.